You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri, that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. So we started the series of Jonah off and I had my lovely wife read the story for us out of the book of Jonah. And I thought, what an appropriate way to end our series today, allowing her to read the story for us. And then when she gets to this morning's text, she'll prompt us and we'll stand and read those last five verses of chapter 4, 5 through 11 with her. So let me make sure you're on here. You should be. You're welcome. Thank Is you. Is this working? Can you guys hear me? Hello? Can you hear me? Okay. Good morning, you all. Uh, I don't know about any of you guys, but my book of Jonah in the Bible is certainly much more marked up than when we started this series. And um, I just really want to thank Matt for just helping us to dig deeper. I've really appreciated this entire series so much. So I'm honored to get to read this as we wrap things up. Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel, and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, What are you doing? Sound asleep. Get up. Call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us, and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other. Let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots, and the lot singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business? Where are you from? What is your country, and what people are you from? He answered them, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were seized by a great fear and said to him, What is this you've done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. He answered them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I am to blame for this great storm that's against you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they couldn't, because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, Please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life, and don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Chapter 2. 
Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol. You heard my voice. You threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, and the current overcame me. All your breakers and your billows swept over me. But I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. The water engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth's gates shut shut behind me forever. Then you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Chapter 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least. When word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne and took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. By order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, Both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. Chapter 4. Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord asked, Is it right for you to be angry? Would you please stand with me as we read today's text? Verses 5 through 10. Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted, and he wanted to die. 
He said, it is better for me to die than to live. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it's right. He replied, I'm angry enough to die. So the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. But may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So I'm going to stay down here this morning. Quick recap of last week. Jonah was angry then as well because the Ninevites repented. And he was trying to justify his disobedience to God by throwing out his reasons why he ran from God in the first place. And then in response to this, and in order that we might learn from Jonah's mistakes, we ended by asking ourselves three questions. Am I all in? Am I all in for the Lord? Do I have any rooms in my heart that I have still not surrendered to God? Do I view and treat others, everyone, with love and compassion? Or are the creepy crawly vines of pride left unattended so I am more about promoting myself than viewing others with love and compassion? Do I truly, truly trust and believe That God is unimaginably merciful. Do I see him as he is, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, the one who relents from sending disaster? So as as my wife just read, Jonah has now left the city, possibly stopped at the Nineveh's local Casey's for some snacks on the way out. If Carlos lived back then, guaranteed he'd probably bump into Carlos there at the same time. It seems like any time I jump into a convenience store, I see Carlos, which is awesome. I love running into him. Found a place overlooking the city, built a shelter, situated a semi-cozy spot to sit down and relax, enjoy snacks, maybe a couple of fig donuts and coffee. Then he settled in for what he hoped to be the show. The show, the end games for the Ninevites, if you will. And it was hot. It was hot out. So God appointed a plant, caused a plant to grow right there where Jonah had situated and built his shelter to grow up over him to provide additional shade. Now that shelter that Jonah built probably was something like what the Israelites, his people, built as they wandered around the desert in the wilderness. And one would hope that that might have triggered a memory for him and what he'd studied and what he'd learned being a prophet of God. But it did not. You see, throughout the book of Jonah, we've seen God appoint many things for Jonah, for ours, for us later on as we read this. God hurled, sent, appointed a storm to get his attention in the first place. He appointed a great fish to save Jonah from drowning. The storm was so that Jonah would hopefully course correct The fish, because God still had purpose and plan for him, even though he had blatantly disobeyed 
And now God had appointed this plant to help shade Jonah. Because Jonah had worked so hard and preaching so diligently and he just deserved... No, he didn't. He didn't deserve that extra shade at all. I mean, he has had one misstep after another throughout this book. There was a glimmer of his prayer inside the great fish. But other than that, Jonah has had one failure after another. See, God had another purpose in mind, as we'll see here in a minute, for appointing that shade for the wayward prophet. Jonah's motive was to gloat over the Ninevites' destruction. And when that didn't happen, he ended up pouting and throwing a pity party. Yet God gave him that luxury of the extra shade. Even though Jonah had not repented or even began to show any sign of remorse for this new attitude, this new failure, this new disobedience. Because of that shade, though, Jonah was greatly pleased. He was thankful, perhaps even thinking, hey, thanks, God, you're finally coming around. I deserve this mercy after all. I'm one of your people. Jonah having a serious uh, issue with where he's from, not who he belongs to. Or maybe even as the king of Nineveh thought in chapter 3, verse 9, who knows God might turn and relent from destroying us. Jonah was thinking, who knows, maybe God will destroy them after all. But then the next morning, God appointed a worm. And I can't help but think of the story of the very hungry caterpillar. When I think of this, one of my boy's favorite, especially Spencer's as he was growing up, (laughs) we had the little worm that would go through the hole in the book. Anybody else have that one? One Sunday morning, the warm sun came up and pop out of the egg came a tiny and very hungry caterpillar and he started to look for some food. Maybe that plant that was shading Jonah was the thing that he needed to settle his stomach after eating the leftover fig donuts. So the plant withered. What is God up to here? God next appoints a scorching wind to make sure that Jonah was really going to feel this. And it's tempting to stop and think, God's just playing with Jonah here, torturing him, teasing him, because of his sin, because of his attitude. And yet, I don't think that was God's motive at all. I believe it was actually for Jonah's best. See, God wasn't out to suffer, make Jonah suffer for no reason. God wasn't out to just torture Jonah just for the fun of it. The reason why is because Jonah still was not getting it. So God, in his compassion, used the plant, the worm, and the scorching heat as an object lesson to help Jonah learn more about the character and the nature of God. He needed Jonah to know that the same mercy that Jonah received for his salvation, being spared his life, instead of drowning, even providing a temporary shade for him, was that same mercy that God wanted to show this nation of Nineveh, this city of Nineveh, that was lost and broken. And scripture says, didn't even know their right from their left. See, God wanted Jonah to believe what he prayed to him. In verse 2 of this chapter, God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger abounding in faithful love, 
one who relents from sending disaster. Because God is gracious and compassionate, God is also merciful. In fact, I would venture to say that God is mercy. He originated it. It is his to give. And before some of us might think that's a scary thing, we should actually think about it from not our perspective. Because praise God it is, because only he is unchanging. Only he is truly loving. Only he is able to unconditionally love. If we based off mercy, based off of our efforts or our abilities, has anybody failed? It's showing mercy in this room. Has anybody failed at, or someone else has failed in showing you mercy at times? Yeah, I think we can all raise our hands to that. Only he is gracious, only he is gracious and compassionate enough to give it to those who don't deserve it. And that includes every single person alive. But because God is mercy, he once again brought Jonah to a place of discomfort. And by bringing him to this place of discomfort, hopefully a place of realization that God is sovereign and that God is God and Jonah is not. When it rains, it pours is a very familiar saying to all of us and especially the last few weeks. Sometimes we can be plugging away at life. Yeah, when it rained, I even left a window down last night in my car. That was fun this morning. We can be plugging away at life and things like that happen. We left a window down. Uh, water is in places it shouldn't be. Things kind of start rolling up on us one after another like the spring thunderstorms. As Jonah can relate, we get sick, we miss too much work or perform poorly, so we get demoted or lose our job. Finances get tight, the marriage gets stressful. I think you guys know what I'm talking about here. But what if we had the confidence that all of this was for a reason and a purpose instead of just suffering and torture for nothing? What if we could know that God had a purpose and plan for it that he would use to accomplish? What if, like Jonah, it allowed us to glimpse more of God's character? His mercies that we would otherwise be blind to. What if we went through an object lesson that he allowed to draw us closer to him? Would it be worth it? You see, we can have that confidence. We can have that confidence that nothing is wasted and everything is for a reason and purpose when it comes to God. He does not waste things. When we anchor ourselves in God, the loving Father, Jesus Christ, his Son, who saved us, we can rest in the confidence and hope of Hebrews 13:5 that he will never leave us or forsake us. In Romans 8:28 that all things we work together all things will work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. In this last chapter of this book, God is mercifully and gently appointing an object lesson for Jonah, as he does for each one of us, loving us through the cross, wooing us through his word and the love of others, so that we might 
have further glimpses of his mercy, understanding of his love, and then when necessary, allowing us to be tested through trials and loss and hard things. And this is to perfect and strengthen our faith. God did not create us to be robots, so we have that choice to respond to his love by following him or rejecting him. Jonah chose to reject him, continuing to not trust in God and his sovereignty. So he wanted to die again. When we don't trust God, we too reject him. Did you catch that? That was something that caught me in preparation. And when I typed that out, I was like, when I don't trust God, I am rejecting him. Looking back in the book, Jonah, when he wanted to die on the ship during the storm, there was at least the benefit of helping save some sailors in the process. And then as we read last week, he wanted to die again because the Ninevites repented. And this time he wanted to die because a hungry caterpillar ate a shade plant. Now granted, being out in the heat can make you think some crazy things. But the next verse... Verse 9 reveals Jonah's true motive here. Verse 9, then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it's right. I'm angry enough to die. Jonah is throwing a full-on epic pity party here. And I don't know about you, but I'm tempted to think that, oh my word, I would never have the nerve to do that before God. But we do. We do. If somebody was writing a story about the innermost thoughts of our lives and those feelings that we have and those rabbit trails we chase of sorrow and pity and different things like that, I don't think our story would be that much different than Jonah's. In this kind of situation around our house, he would have a new nickname called Drama King. However, something serious I do want to mention. If someone is here this morning that is thinking about harming themselves, thinking that dying is the way out, it's not. It's not. And, and let me say this. You are loved. You are loved first and foremost by God. First and foremost by God who in his sovereignty, in his mercy, and in his grace created you. He knit you together in your mother's womb for a purpose and a reason. And he has a plan You are also loved by me. And I would wager many, many others. Please talk to someone, me, a professional, somebody else, if you are actually considering this. You're not alone. You're not the only one on this planet to have gone through what you've gone through. I can promise you. 
You're not the only one on the planet who's had these thoughts. There is nothing that you have done that makes you any less loved by God than any other person in this room of any less value. So Jonah, the second time in only nine verses that God asked him if he had the right to be angry. (laughs) God reveals his object lesson to Jonah in verses 10 and 11. Gently, lovingly. It's not the thunder and lightning approach that so many people think that God is about who don't truly know him. This is God providing one gracious lesson after another and then coming to his beloved Jonah the prophet and talking to him. Do you have the right to be angry? This is God impersonating the verse in Proverbs where it says a gentle answer turns away wrath. This is God leading by example in that. And then he says in verse 10 and 11, you cared about the plant which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in the night. But may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals. Shout out to all the animal lovers there. But Jonah cared more about a plant. A plant that provided him shade. So it wasn't even like Jonah was really concerned that the plant had died. It was that he lost his shade. It was purely selfish. A plant he didn't dig a hole for, put a seed in the ground for, did not water, did not make grow or help grow in any way. He did not appoint it. God did. But he cared more for that plant than he did for 120,000 souls. And even more than the animals. The end. And that's how the book ends. <laughs> You're just kind of like, oh. It's such a sorrowful cliffhanger, isn't it? And we don't have the privilege of knowing what went on after that. If the conversation between Jonah and God continued. If Jonah repented and came back around or not for sure. I would love to be able to say that Jonah went on to be the greatest Old Testament missionary prophet ever. And many were saved because of him obeying God and proclaiming the words that God called him to proclaim. With a quick glance at the surface of this, we might say this morning's scene would be don't end up like Jonah. Don't do like what Jonah did. But the reality is, is it's actually love, mercy. Love, mercy. To truly love mercy, we must have the transforming power of the cross in our lives, breaking down those doors of pride that keep sections of our hearts closed off to him that eradicate once and for all those creepy crawly vines of pride that seek to strangle us, keeping us from an intimate, loving, merciful relationship with God, our loving Father. 
See, passivity in our faith will not help us achieve this. Complacency in our personal time with him, where we study his word, where we go to him in prayer, will only separate us farther if we're complacent about that. A consumer mindset when it comes to loving others and going to church to serve will dull us to his mercy. And what I mean by consumer mindset is this, I'll serve and show up when it benefits me, when I get something out of it, as opposed to showing up to worship the Lord and serve Him. We get that backwards. We translate what the world tells us and every other part of our life that it's all about us, as opposed to it being about Him. And when we change that mindset from it being about us to it being about Him, your life will look, feel, and be radically different. It will be in that place and in that life that you will experience the joy and the peace that God talks about throughout his word when you serve him. And even if hard things are going on, you know he's got you because you're close to him. You're close to the source of peace. You're close to the hope. You're close to his strength and his wisdom. I pray, and please pray with me, that God will always continue to pursue our prodigal and wayward hearts as we've seen him do throughout Jonah. That we will respond to his words and his proddings. And Tony and I were talking about this last week, but that scary prayer of God, whatever it takes to keep me in your will, to keep me on my knees before you keep me realizing and knowing that you are God, that I am not. Don't pray it unless you mean it because it's a ride. But it's worth it. See, because the short life compared to eternity, the, the loss of loved ones before their time, being fired at your job, struggling financially, the loss of a child, impossible circumstances, people spreading lies about you. That's just what's happened to me in a few years. I don't know about you guys. Those are temporary compared to the eternity waiting for us. And that is worth it. I would far rather have eternity with him and when I get there, Dee and I talk about this often, that we get there and we're sliding into the grave, worn out, frazzled, knees bloodied, elbows bloodied, saying, what a ride for you, God. What a ride. Not in your recliner, floating down the elk <laughs> into your grave. As the Apostle Paul proclaimed, somebody who knew, who knew being tortured, who was martyred, shipwrecked, you name it, to live as Christ, to die as gain. So as long as God gives us breath, we live for him. And when the day comes that he chooses, not us, for us to be done here. 
That's our true eternal gain. As we reflect on the end of this book and series, I believe that there is hope for Jonah, though. That in heaven we will have the chance to hear the end of his story. And I'll share that with you. And this is from people far smarter than me. I didn't come up with this, so don't give me credit for it. First off, the knowledge that we get and the information that we get in this book could only be from him. There's sections of it especially. Who else would know what he prayed in the belly of the great fish but Jonah? Right? So we know that he contributed. Whether he physically penned the letter or the book or not, we're not for certain. But we know he for sure gave contributing information to it. So who else would have given that? And because he gave that, we can also take the next matter of how information from key witnesses in Scripture, throughout Scripture, is usually the most self-deprecating. So in other words, if the writer of the book or the gospel or the letter provided information about themselves for that, it was always, they always looked the worst. For example, Peter, it's very well suggested and believed that Peter gave the majority of the information for the Gospel of Mark. In the book of Mark, if you read it, Peter looks the worst out of the other Gospels. And as... Tim Keller says, what kind of a man would let the world see what a fool he was or woman? Only someone who had become joyfully secure in God's love. I have never met anybody willingly (laughs) put themselves down in humility, not in a oh, trying to deflect thing or in a joking way, but in humility, truly with sincerity, share how they blew it that wasn't securely, joyfully securing God's love. And I would also add somebody who truly believed and experienced God's mercy and had come to love it. So while we can't say for certain, I believe that I think that we will get to see Jonah in heaven, that we'll get to have that conversation and ask him what it really was like in that great fish. So this morning, in response to God's mercy, and to begin or grow in our love of mercy, we're going to fall in one category or another. Can we relate more to Jonah or more to the Ninevites in this story? If we're more like Jonah, we're in a place that we are saved by God's grace, broken, imperfect works in progress, still on this journey, continually needing the gospel to change us each and every day. And that doesn't happen by getting up, going to work, doing your deal and going to bed and putting that on endless repeat. We have got to spend time with our Lord and Savior. Every relationship will grow distant without intentional time spent in it. Don't give up, regardless of what's going on. Never give up. Nothing is wasted with God. 
Nothing. And that should give us hope. Because if it is, what is there to live for? But we have that hope. And so we have everything to live for. God will never give up on you. Pray. Study his word. Learn to study the word better. I don't have it figured out. I'm learning every week, just like you. Invite others into your life to do it with you. We can't do this alone, y'all. If we try, we're done. We'll fail. It's not a coincidence that the devil's referred to as a roaring lion. Lions get their prey by singling them out and taking them down, not when they're with the herd. If you're more like the Ninevites here this morning, I believe with all my heart it's not a coincidence you're here. Instead of God sending someone to your city to proclaim his message, he has brought you here to hear his message of love and mercy and grace. Will you respond to his mercy and compassion? See, he initiated his love for us at the beginning of time by creating us, knitting us together in our mother's wombs in the before we ever even thought about him before we decided that maybe me trying to do this on my own isn't working, before we made one effort to even do anything good, he willingly went to the cross to die for us and our sins. Our sins is when we disobey him. Has anybody lied? Anybody judged somebody? Anybody had a lustful thought? Anybody stolen anything? I know I've covered all of this once already. I can keep going if we want to keep adding our names more and more to this. (laughs) And while that might be depressing, his grace covers all of it. Whether you're a murderer or you stole the pen from the bank this week. (laughs) His grace covers all of it. It doesn't mean we're not void of consequences. But he covers our eternity. And our part is to surrender. And that is all. It's not go to a foreign terrorist nation first and proclaim my message and see if you live through it. Then I'll maybe think about you. It's choose me. It's not a special code or formula in how you pray that. It's your words. It's your heart surrendering to God, acknowledging you need him, acknowledging that you're not right, you're not perfect. 
choosing to follow him? As we pray, if you don't know him, if you're in the Ninevite camp here, don't wait any longer. And if you choose to pray that, tell somebody. Because again, you choose him and God will give you strength. But he did not create us to go through this life alone. We will celebrate with you. There will not be a, oh my gosh, I thought you were already. No, we'll just be thankful and praise him for it. I pray this series has done for your hearts as it's done for mine. There's been many, many weeks of toil and wrestling and sweating and as my wife can attest for in preparing for these and it's first and foremost because of the work that God has to do in my own heart before I deliver this. So don't ever think because I'm up here and sharing this that I've already got it figured out. It is a wrestle every week for me too. I'm in it with you. Let's pray. Father God, in your sovereignty, you have put the book of Jonah in your word so that we might learn and grow in our understanding of you, your heart for the nations, your heart for our hearts. God, that you are a merciful and gentle and loving Father who never gives up on his children and pursuing them. Father, we praise you for that. Thank you. Lord, if there's somebody here that is tired, tired of trying to do the right things for the right thing's sake, if there's somebody here who is feeling lost or hopeless, Lord. Realizing that they need something more. God, that more is you. I pray that they would choose you. Lord, that we would be united in following you together, willing to go deep, willing to be in and around each other's lives, willing to open up and not be so guarded. Knowing that this is a place of broken, (laughs) broken people, but have you in common. And so we're not going to be perfect. We're going to make mistakes. But that we're going to do our very best to continue to serve you and follow you with our lives. So Father, on this Memorial Day weekend, we go out and we are thankful for those who have served and who have gone on before us, allowing us the freedom to meet here today without worry of interruption. Lord, let us go as those sent to bear your name, to show your love, to extend your mercy to those around us beginning in our own homes and going beyond from there. In your precious and holy name, Jesus, amen.